God, thank you that you go with us, that uh, no matter where we are, no matter what we are doing, what we encounter, you are with us. Thank you that you lead us, God. Thank you that we can turn to you with anything that is on our hearts. That we can turn to you in times of trouble, that we can turn to you with our joys, and you are with us, God. And that is a gift. Let us not take that for granted, that, that you're a God who not only is over all things and above all things, but you're a God who came near who walked with us, who continues to walk with us by the resurrection, God, and by the life. Pray that you would uh, bless this time, God. Speak to us, that we would uh, open our ears and our eyes to see and to hear you. And, uh, and I pray that uh, we would leave here changed by who you are, by your presence. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. And good morning. morning. Hope you all are doing well. Uh, Welcome to Easter season. Not a lot of people know this, but Easter isn't uh, a one Sunday thing. It's it's a five-week season on the church calendar. Um, It leads all the way to, you know, into uh, June. First part of June, uh, we celebrate Pentecost Sunday, which, uh, of course, corresponds with Acts 2, uh, the event where the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples. Um, But I want to jump right into uh, what we're going to be talking about. So let me invite you to open your Bibles um, to Luke 24. It's on page 1060 if you're going to use one of the print Bibles that's in the pockets. uh, Or you can use the Bible app. And if you go to uh, the little hamburger button on the bottom right corner and choose events, you can find New Covenant Community Church there. And you can follow along your notes there. We we do that every week. So uh, let's go to Luke 24. This morning we're starting a brief sequel series of messages. Uh, I don't know, we've we've probably done a sequel series before, but um, we thought that it would be fun after doing the seven last words of Jesus, the seven things that Jesus said when he was on the cross, if we created a series called the four next words of Jesus. Because, of course, the cross isn't the end of the story. In fact, it's it's more like the beginning of the story. Um, Because of what we celebrated last week and what we celebrate whenever we gather— uh, it is this, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And so we want to look forward and see what Jesus talked about after he rose again. It's important to look at what happens next. After the cross is the empty tomb, and after the empty tomb, we have 40 days in which the resurrected Jesus appeared to many disciples, spent time with them, taught with them, ate with them. And after 40 days, we have this event known as the Ascension, and uh, Brett Yon is going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. I get to talk about how Jesus appeared to two disciples as they were on the road to Emmaus, which is a village about seven miles from Jerusalem, Jerusalem being where uh, Jesus was crucified and buried. This is one of my favorite scenes in all of Scripture because it reveals a God who walks with us and how his presence is life-changing. So we're going to start right on the road to Emmaus, but if you scan through the first part of Luke 24, you'll see um, that Mary Magdalene, Joanna, uh, Mary the mother of James, and at least a couple other women had gone to visit Jesus' tomb and prepare Jesus' body for burial. But instead of finding Jesus' body, they found the stone covering the tomb rolled away, and they encountered two angels who told them that Jesus had risen from the dead. So the women ran to tell the 11 disciples, that's Jesus' closest disciples, all that they had seen. But the disciples were confused by the story and couldn't believe what they were hearing. So that's where we pick up the story of the road to Emmaus. And uh, we'll start on verse 13. We'll read this in a couple of segments here. 
So uh, Luke 24, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. So quick background on Luke, the author of this gospel. He was a physician and a sometimes traveling companion of Paul. Luke is the only Gentile author in the Bible. So he offers a unique perspective and he notices different things. Um, He wrote both the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts after thorough research and interviews with eyewitnesses. And because of his unique perspective, Luke keys in on how Jesus came for all who believe. Luke highlights how Jesus came to the disenfranchised or those left out of society, the poor, sinners, those despised, Samaritans, women, Gentiles. And maybe that's part of why Luke includes Jesus visiting these two disciples. They were not part of the 12 or Jesus' inner circle. And that's the first thing to know is that Jesus comes to Cleopas and an unnamed disciple. There are a couple of themes that carry through both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts that Luke wrote. For example, even though we don't have a name for the second disciple, Luke makes sure to tell us that there were two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Two witnesses to an event meant that the testimony is credible and reliable in Jewish culture. And we see this several times in Luke. In Luke 2, 22 to 38, uh, Jesus is presented as a boy to the, at the temple in Jerusalem, and two people there prophesy about Jesus, Simeon and Anna. In Luke 10, Jesus sends out the 72 disciples ahead of him to places he plans to visit, and he sent them in pairs. And as I mentioned earlier, Luke 24 talks about two angels at the tomb who share that Jesus is risen. Another interesting theme in Luke and Acts is that of journeying. Luke has a number of important moments that take place on the way to something. Jesus goes up to Jerusalem in Luke 9, and here we have the disciples leaving Jerusalem for Emmaus. The book of Acts is the story of the disciples or witnesses spreading the gospel from Jerusalem to Rome and to the ends of the earth. And the last half of Acts is is basically following Paul through his missionary journey. All of this might be interesting, Uh, But it definitely frames what happens, so uh, keep this in mind. So, these two disciples, followers of Jesus, had traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival, and they were now on their way home, and obviously they were disappointed by what they had witnessed the past few days. They were talking about all of it, and Luke writes that they were discussing and arguing, so it was getting heated. Um, I think this highlights their disappointment and their disillusionment with what they witnessed. They had high hopes, which they explained in a moment, for who Jesus was and what they hoped he would accomplish. But after his gruesome torture and crucifixion, after his death at the hands of the oppressive Roman rule, uh, they couldn't imagine that things were going to turn out well. You can almost hear their voices rising in desperation as they first talk and then argue about what it all means. And this is where Jesus begins walking with them, which is interesting in itself, isn't it? Now is the time when Jesus says, is not the time when Jesus says, come follow me. Instead, he goes to them. He walks with them. He walks with us when we are struggling. Verse 16 says, 
but they were prevented from recognizing him. It wasn't necessarily that Jesus looked different. It's, it's that they were prevented from recognizing him. The passive form of the verb for prevented means that even though the one doing the action isn't mentioned, it's, it's implied that this is an act of God. It's intentional because Jesus is <laughs> literally and figuratively taking them someplace with this. So uh, Jesus asks them in verse 17, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The Greek here of the question that Jesus asked literally translates, what are you tossing back and forth? It's an expression that paints a great picture. They had this sort of volley of thoughts going back and forth, and in steps Jesus. He interrupts them. He asks them what they're talking about. And this journey they're on, both physically and intellectually, stops there. Jesus has a way of interrupting our struggles. I don't know if you've experienced this, but there are times when I've got something that is worrying me or a disappointment that I'm dealing with, and, and I can get really fixated on it. If I can be a little vulnerable here, you know, we're, we're in the middle of a search for uh, a new lead pastor, and it brings up a lot of anxiety, questions. How do I lead well in the meantime? How do we lead well as a team? What are my liabilities as a leader? What are my blind spots? What am I missing right now? What if whoever we hire and I don't get along? You know, what if, what if he has a strong vision for worship and it's different than mine? You know, we, we knew that Tim wouldn't be lead pastor forever, much as we wanted, and, uh, it, but it was still hard for him to step down. Um, it's, it's good. It's a good thing. It's good for Tim. It's good for New Cove, but, but it's been hard too. And in a way... We're journeying away from this disappointment and this kind of heartbreak. And for me, at least, I've got a lot of questions bouncing around in my head about it, bouncing back and forth. And in steps Jesus. And I'll have a moment of just stopping, and the Holy Spirit prompting me, what is this you're tossing back and forth as you're moving along? Jesus interrupts our frustrations and confusion and asks us what's wrong. Let's look at what happens next between Jesus and the disciples. So, uh, verse 18. The one named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? <laughs> I like that he's kind of like, Have you been living under a rock, Jesus? Or, you know, he doesn't know who this stranger is, but he's really surprised that uh, he doesn't know what's been going on. So, uh, Jesus responds, What things? He asked them. So, they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. Now, this question that Jesus asked them, what things? Of course, he knows the answer to this. But just like they were prevented from recognizing him, I think this question is is so that Jesus can lead them somewhere. So here's how the disciples respond. They kind of spew out everything that has happened uh, apparently, like, <laughs> Jesus is the most e- efficient therapist ever because he just gets them to spill their guts just immediately. Um, 
But here's one detail in the story that I think is key. Uh, Luke 24, 21 says, We were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. The disciples had an expectation for the Messiah. Where did this expectation come from? It came from their scriptures. It came from the Old Testament, the prophets and the promises there. They expected a leader to rise, a descendant of King David, who would restore the broken kingdom of Israel, cast off the Roman rule and, and its oppression, and fulfill God's plan to bless and redeem the world through Israel. So they were obviously disappointed by what had actually happened. When I'm disappointed, I'm pretty quiet. If I'm carrying a weight or many weights, uh, I kind of, I'm kind of a keep your head down, keep moving forward, don't bother others with my worries, that kind of guy. And, and unfortunately, that leads me to either meltdowns or blow-ups. You know, I, I get sad and I get tired and I, I just lose energy for everything, or I get angry on the inside, and I get irritable. Fortunately, I've got uh, a few people around me, uh, including my wife, Tracy, uh, who, who show up, like Jesus, and ask, what things? Like, what's going on? And I usually react the way the disciples do and just spit it all out. Uh, sometimes this is how prayers go, too. Uh, Jesus, I don't know how I'm about to do all this. Uh, we have more bills than expected this month, or uh, I'm worried that I'm not parenting well and not spending enough time with the kids. How are we going to help this friend that we have who's in need? Uh, I'm worried that, you know, what if, what if the car dies, and, and, and what are we going to do about this and this and this, and, and, uh, and, now, and now I'm running late, so uh, amen. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's how it feels sometimes. But honestly, this is what Jesus wants. He's asking the question because he wants us to come to him. He wants to take our anxiety, our worries, our fear, our pain, our problems, and, and give it all to him. Look how he responds to the disciples here. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. I think the key word in this passage is all. How slow you were to believe all the scriptures. Uh, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them things concerning himself in all the scriptures. You know where we get in the most trouble as followers of Jesus? It's when we cherry pick verses from the Bible to match our expectations about who God is or what it means to follow him. For example, let's look at a few verses real quick and see what picture we get from them. In Luke 6, uh, Luke writes, or Jesus says, Give, and it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. The third letter of John says, Dear friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way and are in good health, just as your whole life is going well. Matthew 7, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. So what I'm seeing here is that if we give our offerings, God will bless us. We can pray for each other to prosper financially and to be in good health. We can ask for anything we want from God, and he'll give it to us. But here's the thing. That Luke passage Jesus is talking about forgiveness. That's the context of the passage. 
The passage from John's letter, it's, it's a greeting. It's, it's like saying, I hope you're well. I hope and pray that you're doing well. The context of Jesus' words in Matthew is asking God for wisdom, for understanding, for grace, especially in how we relate to other people. None of these verses actually have to do with, with money or possessions or getting what we want. They're often used to defend what's called the prosperity gospel. But none of them actually say that we can get more money or more possessions by manipulating God through prayer or by giving. So we have to look at the whole picture. Jesus has a way of helping us see things rightly through scripture, through community, and through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Interpreting the Bible can be difficult. Circumstances can cause us to see things as incorrectly as it did for the disciples. But there are a few things that can help us in the process. And it is a lifelong process. First, the best lens through which to see God's word is God's word. (laughs) Scripture interprets scripture. Um, Second, community. We need to be reading and talking about what we're reading with uh, a small group or with our household or with a close group of friends, looking at the word together, learning from one another and teaching one another. And third, we need the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to guide us. We need to have space in our theology to ask God, am I seeing this correctly? As I, as, as we, the, the pastors, the governing board, even all of us, the church, deal with anxiety or fear for the future, one of the best things that we can do is to lean in. You know, God's got this. That's where I'm finding hope. Romans 8.28 says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And the context of that verse is hope when we suffer. It's the Spirit praying for us when we don't have the word. So I think it applies to our situation really well. We need to lean in. We need to talk with one another. We need to carry each other. We need to pray as a church for our new pastor to come. And, and for all that that's going to mean. And by the way, uh, mark your calendars, May 7th, we're going to have a, a time of prayer. It'll be after the worship service, and all are welcome to come, um, and, and we'll, we'll spend some time praying for our, our next lead pastor. And we'll have more details on that uh, soon, so um, keep your eyes open for that and mark your calendars. Scripture, community, and God guiding. In this passage, the disciples have all three. They're discussing these things together. Jesus opens all of the scriptures to them, and their hearts burn within them. And we'll read about that in a second, as they're inspired towards the truth. So continuing on, verse 28. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. You know, I read in a commentary this week that uh, this, is, this follows kind of an ancient custom of hospitality, which is kind of fun, I think. It's, well, yeah, I, I better keep going. No, 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 stay with us. Nah, I don't want to be a trouble. No, no, we insist. You got you to gotta stay with us. Well, okay. You know, like, like it's this, this kind of back and forth. I, I guess the disciples were uh, Nebraska nice, right? Um, verse 30, let's go on with this. It was as he reclined at the table, as Jesus reclined at the table with them, that he took the bread, he blessed and broke it, and he gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. 
They found the eleven and those with them gathered together who said, The Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they begin to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. This is my favorite part of the passage. First, the hospitality of the disciples was normal and expected. But what's unexpected is that Jesus acts as the host, not the guest. He took the bread, he blessed and broke it, and he gave it to them. In Jewish culture, the host, not the guest, always says the blessing. And maybe this slight breach of etiquette opened their eyes to what was happening. What did they do when they realized this was Jesus? They, they immediately got up and they returned to tell the other disciples what had happened. Seven miles, in the dark, on foot. This is inconvenient at best, and it's dangerous at worst. But that's what happens when we see Jesus. Jesus has a way of moving us to action, to live our lives differently, to offer what we have for the life of the world, to invite others to know Jesus. He took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Interestingly, Luke used that same language that we have in that passage um, as he used describing Jesus having his last supper with the disciples, what we call the Lord's Supper. Luke twenty two nineteen says, He took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, gave it to them, and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In this moment when Jesus breaks the bread, that's when Cleopas and the other disciple recognize him. Author and pastor Glenn Packiam writes of this, It's beautiful, isn't it? What made them realize it was Jesus was the way he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. Luke was making a point. There's something about bread that is blessed, broken, and given that makes us see Jesus. It shakes us out of our disillusionment and awakens us from our despair about religion. Once our eyes are lifted up, once they are opened to see Jesus, our hearts begin to burn within. Yet it all began with an act of hospitality, with a guest acting like the host. And that's what we need to recover as a church if we're going to be given for the life of the world today. To be sure, we are guests at the table, and Jesus invites us all to know him, to eat the bread and to drink the cup, to, to experience community with others and life and hope and peace in Christ. But I like where Pacquiam goes with this. We need to show hospitality to those around us. We need to come alongside those who feel hopeless. We need to journey with them. We need to show our neighbors by the way that we live differently that Jesus loves them no matter who they are or what they believe about him. He offers forgiveness, peace, joy. The more we allow our eyes to be open to all that God has done for us, the more that we can share that with the world and invite them to know Jesus. So there's a couple ways that we're going to respond this morning. First, I want to encourage you to go, and, and the worship team can come up um, at this time, I want to encourage all of you to go to the Bible app and try a five-day devotional study based on Glenn Packiam's book, Blessed, Broken, Given, How Your Life Becomes Sacred in the Hands of Jesus. We can journey with these ideas this week. It's a five-day study. It uh, offers a little devotional thought and a passage, including um, some of this from uh, The Road to Emmaus. Second, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to um, take a piece of bread as it's passed to you. All the bread uh, this morning is gluten-free, uh, so you don't have to worry about that. 
and to take a cup, and I want you to hold on to them until the end of this next song, and we'll take them together. And you might remain seated, that's fine, but uh, I'd encourage you to sing along. This, uh, this song is going to be familiar, I'm sure, and uh, it's a chance to just sing of the blessed assurance that we have of Jesus' presence. Let's make this our story and our song this morning. So um, let me pray, and we'll sing. God, thank you that you are a God who comes alongside us, that in our darkest moments, in our disappointments, you come along and you help us to see things rightly. Thank you that you have given us yourself, that you have given us each other to lean on in hard times. I pray that that would be uh, the mark of us as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus. And thank you that we have uh, the resurrection life, that you've Uh, made us new by your resurrection, and that we can count on that as our hope for the future, that nothing can change that, God. We're grateful. We're grateful to be assured of this this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.